Philippians 3. We have jumped like a whole section. We're all the way to there. Look at that. That's how far we are. That's Philippians 3. So whoosh. It's like your, your walkway through the semester, right? It's like, oh, I can't believe I'm starting college again. Oh, my goodness, it's so stressful. It's so fun to see friends. Oh, it's not okay. No. Oh, it's midterms. Oh, my goodness. Oh, midterms are over now. All right, I can do this. It's going to be okay. Thanksgiving, yay, okay, yeah. American Thanksgiving. Sorry, I didn't mean to be culture exclusive. <laughs> Thanksgiving, yay, we can do it. Oh, exams, oh, exams, we can do it. Oh, amen. There we go. That's kind of the, that's the lap around Philippians through the, the lens of Calvin College. All right, Philippians 3. To write the same things to you is not troublesome to me, and for you it is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh even though I, too, have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I've come to regard as loss, because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. ever think that there's like a list of things you can do in order to get closer to God? Like, if you just prayed more, you could get closer to God. Or if you just read your scriptures more, you could get closer to God. If you just did more good things, you could just, you could get closer to God. And there's this deep yearning in you to find out whatever that list is and do it because you want to get closer to God. This is an old feeling. It's an ancient feeling. There was a monk a few hundred years ago who had this feeling. It was one of the reasons he became a monk. He figured monks are close to God. I'll become a monk. I'll get close to God. And he joined this abbey, and they said, here are the three ways in which we practice getting close to God. These are the three things that we do. These are our areas. The one way is with our intellect. And we study here, and we read scripture, and we read theology, and we learn together, and that's one way in which we get close to God. And we also practice the spiritual disciplines here. We confess together. We worship together. We participate in the sacraments together. That's how we get close to God. 
And then we do good things for other people. We live out in the community and we serve the poor and we do good things and that's how we get close to God. And these are our three ways. And he said, excellent, sign me up. And he threw himself into these things. He threw himself into the scholarship and he threw himself into the spiritual disciplines and he threw himself into the good works. He just did all of these things to the best of his ability. And he found out that he was particularly good at this scholarship piece. I mean, he was really good. He was like wicked smart. He was like 17,000 on the SAT kind of person. He was so good at this, they said to him, we know you're young, we know you haven't been in the Abbey that long, but we think we, you should be a professor. We're starting this university in town, and we think you should be the one who teaches about the Bible and who teaches about theology. And that was one way in which he performed his good works, was by being a teacher in the community. And he was doing all of the things that they told him to do, all of the things that they said would, would make him feel close to God. And it didn't work. And he had this growing anxiety. It's just growing anxiety all the time, thinking, what more do I need to do? And he, he would have sleepless nights because he would just be praying and praying and praying and thinking, this has got to be it. This is how I've got to be close to God. He would whip himself, thinking, this has got to be it. This has got to help me get close to God. And even though he was living out of his gifts and he was using his mind and he was nurturing his heart and he was performing acts of service, none of it was helping him get close to God and he was mystified by this. And he walked around anxious all the time. And he started to notice that the people around him were anxious all the time too. The people in his classes the people he worshipped with, the, the people he would be out in the community with, they were anxious too. No one was calm about this getting close to God thing. Nobody felt like they had it mastered. And as he was walking through the streets of his city, he heard that there were even people that were telling them that in order to guarantee that they could get close to God, they should give a little more money to the church. And if you have a loved one that's died, you can't be really sure that they've made it all the way up to heaven. They may be kind of in that middle state called purgatory, and you don't want them hanging out there for a while, so you better give a little more money to the church. And so he was looking at the faces of the people that he loved in the community, and he was listening to his own heart, and he realized that there was so much anxiety and so little contentment, so little rest, because all of the identity markers that were supposed to get them close to God weren't working. And Paul says, yes. That's exactly right. Because there was this group of people who came into Philippi and they said very similar things to the Philippians. They said, that's good that you got the Jesus thing down. That's great. Congratulations. Thanks. Here's a list of what you need to do now. You need to follow the law. Yeah, that's the Jewish law. We know you haven't heard of it, let alone read it, but you need to follow it. You need to follow the whole thing. And to really prove that you're committed to this thing, you got to be circumcised. 
I mean, we think it's great that you found Jesus, you're in the family, that's fantastic, but you got to prove it. And this is how, obey the law and get circumcised. Now, this would be a little like if one of y'all won the lottery and you're standing up there with a giant novelty check, right? You know what they look like. You're with the giant novelty check and the press is taking your picture because you're like the youngest lottery winner in the history of the lottery. And you're all excited and you've got plans for what you're going to do with the money. Like you're thinking way ahead. Pay tuition. <laughs> My friends in development would say, give a big donation to Calvin College. You have all these plans. Right? You've thought ahead. This is what I'm going to do with my money. I'm excited about this. I'm ready. You're standing with a novelty check. At the other end of the novelty check is the director of the lottery. And while you're having all the flashbulbs going off, he leans over to you and says, by the way, uh, before I forget, before you cash this check, we're, we're going to need to pull all your teeth. Yeah. You'd be like, I don't think I need the lottery money. What does winning the lottery have to do with getting all my teeth pulled? This doesn't make any sense at all. This is how the Gentiles heard this invitation to circumcision. <laughs> yes, do you get it now? Right? They're like, okay, we thought circumcision was abhorrent when we just kind of knew about it in the existential sense. But these are Gentiles. Remember that most of the Philippian church was Gentile. There weren't enough Jews in the community for them to form a synagogue when they all got together. And not only that, but remember that most of the Jews in the community and a lot of the leaders in the church were women. If circumcision was going to be a big marker for how people are in the church, what did that mean for all of these women who were leaders in the church? So there began to be this incredible anxiety in the church. What does this mean for us? Do we really have to do more? Do we really have to obey the whole law? We have to learn how to keep kosher and you know, wear different clothes and do our hair differently and eat different food plus the circumcision? Like, how is this? Like, what are you talking about? And there was this incredible anxiety in the church. And so Paul, out of his deep compassion for them, very pastorally, says this. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. Are you getting this? In the Greek, it's even better because there's some good alliteration with the letter K. So it's like, beware of the con, beware of the con, beware of the con. Do you get it? He's saying, don't give these people a listen. Let's tolerate them. Maybe they have interesting ideas. He's saying, beware of them. Push them far away from you. This is not true. This is false. Beware of these people. They're saying that you should have confidence in who you are, in the markers of identity. 
that this is what will get you close to God. He says, really? Really? You should boast in these things. Well, if anybody's got reason to have confidence in the flesh, I've got more. So I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I've obeyed the law since I was a kid. In front of the law, I am blameless. In fact, I have killed people who tried to say people shouldn't obey the law. I have every reason to be confident in the flesh. I have all the identity markers anyone could ever want. I have all the things that people say you need to have in order to be close to God. I've got them all. And you know what? They mean nothing to me. Whatever gains I had, I come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but the one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. All of those identity markers, he says, I count them as rubbish, garbage. The Greek word there is literally crap. That's what that means to me. Because the only way you get to be close to God, he says, is by faith in Christ alone. That's the only way. You want to get close to God? He's done it. He's already done it for you. The one way to get close to God, God has done in Jesus Christ. He took on flesh. He came. And because of Jesus Christ, we have grace. And our young monk read these words along with other words. And he realized that the church wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. And so, as those of you who came in from that door, I don't know who posted them, but 493 years ago, our young monk Martin Luther wrote out 95 reasons why the church needed to change some things, and he pounded them on the church door at Wittenberg. Thanks, by the way, to whoever posted them for not nailing them literally onto the chapel. He posted them because he loved the church. And when he read the gospel, when he read the words of Philippians, when he read the words in Ephesians, when he read about righteousness by grace through faith, he felt set free. Oh, he says, there isn't anything I can do to get close to God. There isn't anything I can do to make myself right with God. God's already done it. So everything I get to do now is a gift back to God God has given me Christ, and Christ is enough. Jesus is enough. There's nothing more you have to do. There's nothing more you can do to get God to love you. It's been done. Jesus is enough. Do you believe that? 
It'd be really nice if we solved this problem back in 1517. But the Christian church has been very good at saying it's Christ and certain things. Christ and you need to be baptized in this way. And in fact, you really should be baptized in our congregation. Because there are other churches out there that baptize and they do it in the name of the triune God and that's good and everything. But really here, this is where you need to be baptized. Or churches have said it's Christ and you need to speak in tongues. That's the true identity marker. That's what you've got to have. Otherwise, it doesn't really count. There are churches that say it's Christ and you need to vote in this particular way. That's a true identity marker that reveals your faith. It's Christ and this. And it's really hard for us to understand what reading this list and then hearing Paul call it rubbish meant to the people in Philippi. Because those identity markers don't mean that much to us. But if we were to translate them into 2010 life at Calvin College, he'd be saying something like this. You know that Philippians Bible study you're in? It's crap. You know all that time you spend in prayer? It's garbage. Your status as a virgin that you claim so highly doesn't mean anything. You're volunteering as a Sunday school teacher? Worthless. If you are doing any one of those things, he says, in an attempt to either prove your faith to other people or an attempt to win God points, to kind of hedge your bets a bit, he says if you're doing any of those behaviors to make up for what you've done in the past, they're garbage. If you're going to loft on Sunday night to make up for what you did on Saturday night, it's garbage. If you're volunteering as a Sunday school teacher because you think it'll look good on a resume, it's garbage. If you're valuing your status as a virgin above all and looking down on other people who don't have that status, that's garbage. If you're coming to chapel three times a week to make up for the fact that you're cutting yourself, it's garbage. Anytime, Paul says, anytime we use these markers of identity as a way of convincing ourselves that we are working our way closer to God, that I'll just be closer to God if I do this, that God will love me more if I live out in this way, he says, it's garbage. It's just trash. So what's your thing? What's your thing that you're holding on to, that it's Christ and this? Yeah, Christ is good, it's fantastic, but I also have this. Christ and, oh, I'm ordained. 
You don't have that? Except Paul. Thank you. What's your thing? I have Christ, oh, and I'm a Barnabas. That's, that's big God points. I have Christ, and I'm going to seminary. <laughs> I have Christ, and I'm just an all-around good person, and people really like me a lot. I have Christ, and I have a 3.9. I have Christ, and I'm a starter. I have Christ, and I'm first chair. I have Christ, and I have this. And when I talk to my parents on the telephone, I tell them all about this. Because I like them to know how well I'm doing and how proud they need to be of me. Because I have Christ and this. It's garbage, says Paul. It's garbage. Nothing you do makes you right with God. Nothing. Nothing you do will ever make you right with God. Nothing. He says it's already been done. And that's why he says you boast in Christ alone. And he says there's only one thing I want. It's not this. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ and his sufferings. I want to know Christ and breathe Christ because Christ is how I am close to God. I want to know Christ and I want to die to all that other crap. I want to die to it and throw it away and I want to know Christ. The only way to know the power of the resurrection is to actually die to something. Some of us are hanging way too much weight on our and thing. We're putting our identity over here. When we introduce ourselves to people, we make sure that they know this very soon in the conversation. This is what we think of ourselves. This is our chief identity. This is who I am. And God says, it's rubbish. Tonight, God is reminding you of what is true. There's nothing you can do that will make you right with him. And what has to be done has already been done. In a little bit, we're going to ask you to think of the thing that God is laying on your heart. That's your end thing. And we're going to ask you to write it on a piece of paper. And then we're going to ask you to take that paper, crumple it up, and throw it away. And if there's a thing that you're holding on to that you think, oh, I don't want to give that up, that's probably the thing you need to throw away. If there's a thing that you think, 
I don't think I could go a week without telling somebody about this. It's probably the thing you need to throw away. If you have any behavior in your life that you feel you're trying to give a counterweight to by acting better, it's time to throw it away. This past week, I was at a friend's and he was making me dinner. And I walked into the kitchen and I said to him, what can I do to help? Can I like chop something? And he said, no, nothing. I said, no, really, what can I do to help? He said, no, nothing. I said, are you sure? Mary, he said to me, go get a chair, put it right there. He said, I want you to sit because I just like having you here. Tonight, God is inviting you to rest, to come and sit because all of this is just achievement that wears you out and what he has done in Christ has allowed you to sit and rest. There is nothing more you need to do. Your sins are forgiven forever. You are close to God forever. You are a beloved child resting in the kitchen of God forever. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we get to rest in God forever. So throw it away. Throw it away. And know Christ. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we're all so good at selling ourselves. We're all so good at filling out applications and putting the best things on a resume. We all know what we're good at, what we take pride in, what we're quick to boast about. Lord, we know how we strive to be close to you and think that there's a list, and if we just check things off the list, we'll arrive, we'll have made it. And so forgive us when we use Bible studies or our sexual status or prayer life or chapel attendance or whatever it is as some sort of marker instead of knowing Christ and his suffering and his resurrection. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you move among us. Speak to our hearts. Show us what we need to surrender. Show us what we need to throw away. And invite us into rest. For Jesus' sake. Amen.